You know, looking at the, the new year, we're going to be starting the, the book of Romans as of next Sunday and working our way through the entire book of Romans, which will be quite a challenge, but also quite a blessing. I've taught through the book of Romans, studied through the book of Romans, and uh, it, is, it is by far one of my favorite books of the Bible, probably one that I quote more than any other book would be the book of Romans. So I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be great. You know, lately I've been also reminding you, almost on a weekly basis, of one important and simple truth that we all need to grab hold of and understand in our lives. And that is that you get the life you choose. You all remember I've said that a few times, right? You get the life that you choose. Now, a lot of people might argue with that. Well, no, life you know, chose a different path for me. No, actually, you know, circumstances happen, but you still end up with what you choose because you always have choice. That is one of the great sovereign things about God is that in his free sovereignty, in other words, he decides whatever he decides, and God does whatever he does, he decided to give you the ability to choose so that you could choose him. But that also gives you the opposite, the ability to reject him as well. And I think God fully understood what he was doing when he gave you that choice. Because what is love if it is not given? What is adoration if it is not given? It's not those things. You can't have those things without the ability to choose, the ability to say yes or no. In just a few days' time, we're going to enter into 2014. Wednesday will be that day. And it's kind of crazy when you think about it. When I was in high school, and I'll date myself a little bit here, when I was in high school, we had to read the book 1984 by George Orwell, right? A novel about the abuse of power of the government off into the future. And now that's the distant past. It's not that those things haven't happened, by the way. It's just that it's in the distant past. It's kind of weird when you think about it. Then there was the futuristic sci-fi novel, 2010, A Space Odyssey. I don't know if, if you guys are into you know, that kind of sci-fi stuff. It was written by Arthur C. Clarke, and it, and it took kind of a scary look at the future of artificial intelligence and what could happen by 2010. Now we talk to our phones, and Siri, uh, would you sing for me? You know, we, we do all kinds of interesting things. We're getting closer and closer to that I- idea. Mind you that when these books came out, They were futuristic. Now they're in our past. It's a little strange when you stop and think about it. Here we are getting ready to enter into 2014. And what will the future really hold? One way of looking at it is to say, well, as far as the future goes, well, only God knows. You know, and there's certainly abundant truth to that statement. But that statement is also somewhat of a cop-out when you stop and think about what it really means. It's a little bit like saying, que sera, sera, which means whatever will be, will be. Don't worry about the future. Don't think about it. Don't plan for it. Whatever's going to happen, it's just going to happen. You know, God is going to do what God is going to do. And while I agree with the idea of not worrying about the future, I don't agree with the other two ideas, that we shouldn't think about or plan for the future, because that's a lie of the enemy to make us complacent, to allow us to live lives of mediocrity rather than abundance. As believers, we don't worry about anything. Worry doesn't profit anybody but the doctors and the psychiatrists, folks. Because worry takes a toll on your body, you'll end up in the hospital, 
and it takes a toll on your mind, you'll end up on somebody's couch. On the other hand, as believers, we should be thinking about the future, planning for the future, acting on those plans in the present. And the last part's kind of important. There's a, a boy told his father, Dad, if three frogs were sitting on a limb that hung over a pool and one frog decided to jump off into the pool, how many frogs would be left on the limb? The dad replied, well, two. Nope, replied the son. There's three frogs and one decides to jump, how many are left? Dad said, oh, I get it. If one decides to jump, the others will too, so now there's none left. Boy said, no, Dad. The answer's three. The frog only decided to jump. Does that sound like your last year's New Year's resolution? <laughs> great inspiration, great resolutions, but oftentimes we only decide. And months later, we'll still be sitting on that same limb, deciding, but not actually doing anything. Listen, listen carefully. The future belongs to those who consider it, plan for it, and then act in the present. By considered, I mean dream about it, wonder about its possibilities. By plan for it, I mean just that, make a plan, a carefully thought out strategy to get you from where you are to where you want to go. And by act on it, I mean work the plan that you figure out. Now, does that mean when I say the future belongs to those who consider it, plan for it, and act on it in the present, that I'm saying that God doesn't have a part in it? Listen carefully, because I don't want to confuse you, okay? So you need to listen. I'm saying that God is not part of the equation. He is the equation. When I say the future belongs to those who consider it, plan for it, and act on it in the present, I'm not saying that we change what God ordains. I'm saying we make ourselves fit and available to step into the future he has for us. He is the equation. Let me give you an illustration from my own life and this church. First, this church exists because I had a dream. Not a dream when I was asleep, okay? More like a longing, a yearning kind of dream. A dream of what a church could be a church that was different than any other church that I'd ever been a part of before, a church that lived and breathed a relationship with God and understood what real grace was about. That dream kind of grew to incorporate a people who live in freedom and honor as well. The future belongs to those who consider it, dream it, wonder about its possibilities. Second, dreaming isn't enough to make a church happen, is it? You actually have to plan and strategize. And we went and we got help. We got instruction. We got assistance from people who had traveled this path before us of church planting. Did what they offer us really work? Well, honestly, no, not much. But we did come with a plan. We just had to kind of adjust the plan. And you probably will too. Don't ever get married to your plans so much that you fail in them because you're not willing to let them morph, to let them change, to let them transform, to let them be a little bit different than when you started out. 
If I were to plant another church today, knowing what I know from planting this church, I would plant it wholly different than what I did. A whole different plan and a whole different way of going about it. Third, dreams and plans never get off the table and into reality without work, without commitment. You have to work the plan. We did, and this church exists today because of the hard work that a whole lot of people put into it. The same is true for this church, will be true for you in your life. You need to have a dream. You need to consider the possibilities. You need to have a plan to reach that dream. And you need to then work the plan. Now, next week, we will start the book of Romans. I don't know exactly how long it's going to take us to get through that book. You know, I've looked at it seriously, and I don't see us making it through rather quickly because there's so much packed into it. On the other hand, I don't want to drag it out either. But having said that, I want us to look ahead, and I want to borrow a very small passage from the book of Romans, actually out of Romans chapter 13 for us this morning. There's this challenging verse there that I want to look at in light of the new year, and then come back to that when we get that far in the book. Now, that may be you know six months from now. It may be eight months from now. I don't know when we'll actually get to chapter 13. But when we do, I want us to be able to look back from that verse to the beginning of this year and see what God has done because we've decided to dream it, to plan it, and to pursue it. Does that make sense? It's like giving us a challenge for the new year and then sometime during the year going back and doing a status check on our progress. So if you'd please turn with me to Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. I'm going to read to you this morning out of the NASB, the New American Standard. So it may be a little different from your text if you're using an NIV this morning. But I like the way that it puts it because this is a, a literal translation. And then I want to read it to you out of the Message Bible because I think it really says it even better in our own modern day vernacular. This is what it says in the NSB. Romans 13, starting in verse 11. Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing and in drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to to its lusts. Now listen to that same passage in the Message Bible. Make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute. Must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence and sleeping around and dissipation in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger 
waiting until the very last minute, dress yourselves in Christ and be up and be about. I like that paraphrase. That really kind of explains it, doesn't it? And it gives us a challenge to look forward to. I want to break this down into a couple little things real quick. I'm going to talk about those three things, the dreaming the plan and then pursuing the plan, working the plan. So let's take a moment and pray, and we'll jump into the text. Heavenly Father, this is quite a challenge for us to face the new year and resolve ourselves, commit ourselves to dreaming about what you have for us, making a plan to get there, and then working that plan. It's a whole new level of commitment and a whole new level of of going after putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is really the challenge of our text this morning, to put on Jesus. So Father, I, I, I pray for us this morning that we would have more than just ears to hear, more than just minds to comprehend, but we would have hearts that receive, believe, and move with what we know. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a clear admonishment in this passage to get on with your life in Christ. Make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-by-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. You know what? It is easy to get caught up in the day-to-day living of our lives, isn't it? Sometimes when we do that, we forget that God has a plan. Not just a plan for our life, but a plan for our days, our hours, and our minutes. Have you ever asked God what that plan looks like for you? I've said this many times before. God has a plan for all of us to be like Jesus. That's his plan. We're going to get into that in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. He has a plan. And his plan is that we would be like Jesus. Now, that is God's will for your life. It's also part of his plan for your life as well. But that is going to look different with each and every person because God does not remove our uniqueness in that transformation. He actually uses who we are, that unique person that we are. He perfects it. He grows it. That's one reason why planting this church using someone else's strategy really didn't work for me because it wasn't me. I needed to learn my own way and let God use the things that he placed in me to get there. God's plan is for me to grow in the image of Christ, but my destiny and my path is uniquely mine. I love that about God. God is so big and so vast and so amazing and so transcendent and yet so eminent, so out there and yet so right here kind of thing that every one of us can be absolutely unique and still be transformed into the image of Jesus. He has the capacity for all that to happen. Your plan is just as unique. God has wonderful things in store for you, for all of us. All I'm asking is whether you are going to dream it, whether or not you're going to ask for that plan. 
Are you willing to ask God for what he has in store for you in 2014? Or are you still asleep? The passage is pretty bold here. Get your butt out of bed. Just very, wake up. Wake up. Get moving. Jesus said, if we don't ask, we won't receive. So why not? Why not ask God what he has for you? I love the way Graham Cook kind of goes after that idea. Ask God what you're going to look like, the person you're going to be 10 years from now. And then get busy pursuing that person now because you know what? You could grow into that person in one year and walk in that person for nine. Get up, get moving, wake up. Grab hold of what God has for you. In what area of your life do you need to become more like Jesus this year? In what ways is God calling you to serve him and the body of Christ? You know what? I use that term body of Christ more than I use the term church. Why? Because it's relational. The church is easy to think of as an organization. I don't want you to serve an organization. I have no interest in that whatsoever. That sounds and smacks of religion to me. And I am not interested in religion. I'm interested in relationship. Ask God how he wants you to serve him and to serve the body of Christ. Jesus made it really clear, folks. Love God, love people. Not institutions. In what ways is God calling you to serve him? To serve one another? Dream a little bit, okay? Ask God if you don't ask, how will you ever know? Just ask. And then after you ask, start listening. Start listening. Start planning on what he tells you. Now, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, well, what do I do if God doesn't tell me? Folks, let me be really clear about this. That won't happen. That will not happen. God isn't like that. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and that's what you're asking for here, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But, and here's the qualifier for hearing, when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Approach God with confidence. Approach God with faith that you will be heard because you will be. And you will hear from him because he promises that you will. Most of the time, we don't hear from God because we're wanting God to speak on our terms when he's wanting us to listen on his terms. You catch that? Most of the time we don't hear from God, it's because we're wanting him to speak on our terms. And he's wanting us to listen on his terms. I know this is going to sound a little strange, okay? But here it goes. Let me be strange for a minute. If you're not hearing from God, don't blame him. He's still speaking. Try listening differently. There are a whole lot of ways that God speaks. 
He will speak through his word. He will speak through people. He will speak through his Holy Spirit. You know, he may not speak in the still small voice. He may not speak in the clap of thunder. He may just speak in the actions of a child. He speaks in a lot of ways. Are we listening? If you're not hearing, try listening differently. Verse 12 says, the night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up, be awake to what God is doing. He is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. Once you hear from him, and you will hear from him, then start planning. Start planning. Because your future rests on whether or not you pursue it. And you need a plan to pursue it. Let's say God wants you to grow in the area of trust this year, okay? 2014 might be a year of trust for you to put away fear, to put away doubt, to put away that W word, worry. What are you going to do then to cooperate with God's plan in that? What are you willing to do to deal with the problem of fear or worry? Maybe you need to get sozoed out of some of that, and if you do, then you better pursue a sozo. Maybe you just need to spend some time counting the blessings that you have to realize God doesn't let you down. What are you willing to do to deal with the problem? Let's say you worry about your finances. Have you asked God for a better-paying job? Might be one way to deal with it. Have you looked into more education so that you might be able to earn more in the job you're in? Have you considered learning how to budget your money better? Are you trusting him with what you already have? You know, there are a lot of questions you can ask yourself to begin the planning process, but that's only the beginning. The questions are the beginning. They're not the plan, okay? The answer to the questions will lead you into how to make a plan. Answer the questions honestly. And you'll find a path out of the trap of worry and fear and doubt. Now, let's say you worry about your kids or some other member of your family. That's pretty popular, especially with women for some reason. You worry about us a lot. We probably give you good reason, okay? But you do. You worry about us. You worry about the kids. Ask yourself, who do I need to be in order to draw my kids closer to Jesus? You know what? The more they're like Jesus, the less you're going to have to worry. That's just the truth of it. And once God tells you, well, who do you have to be in order for that to happen? Plan accordingly. Maybe you need to grow in some particular area to demonstrate your faith to your kids. How are you going to get there? What books should you read? Hint, Bible should always be at the top of the list, okay? What Bible studies? Maybe should I join? What does my commitment to God and the body of Christ and the church look like? Like most things, faith is more caught by our kids than taught to our kids. If you're passionate about Jesus, I promise you, it will rub off on your family. The point is this. Don't just dream about being a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. Make a plan to grow into that person. Cooperate with God's vision for your future, and that future will happen. Which leads me kind of to my last point. Working the plan. Let me give you another example from my own life. 
I wasn't always a pastor. I went to college to be a music minister, but decided to bail on that because, well, you couldn't make a living being a music minister back in the 70s kind of thing. And so my plan to, to, to do music uh, kind of went south. And I didn't want to do performance. I wasn't interested at all. My friends in school were going off to the Portland Metropolitan Opera to sing, and I had no interest in that. So I decided to change my major, go a different direction. But somewhere along the way, I ended up in construction. Ended up being a partner in a company and eventually owning my own company. And, you know, it wasn't until I was 35 years old that I started ministry full-time. You know why? Because I kept to the plan anyway. I started directing choirs and small groups and... You know, one thing led to the next, and before I knew it, it seemed like ministry happened and ended up in full-time ministry. Then I went back to school and got another couple degrees. Here's the point. You have to work the plan. Just because the plan seems to have changed a little bit or God's taking you a different direction, he still has a plan for your life, and I believe he always had a plan for my life. From the time I was eight years old, and somebody prayed over me and literally prophesied over me, though they don't do that in the Presbyterian church, um, that I would someday be a pastor, I just kind of always knew that I would be. But I didn't shy away from whatever path God put me on. I just kept doing what I felt I was supposed to do. And I ended up there. Look at me now. Ouch. Okay, wow, it's been a long journey. But you know what? I'm right where I need to be, right where I should be. And so will you be. Pursue the plan. Work the plan. Dreaming the plan, planning the plan, will only get you so far. The actual doing is has, has to happen if it's going to become a reality. Verse 13 of our passage, we can't afford to waste a minute. Must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and in indulgence, in sleeping around, in dissipation, in bickering, in grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed. Get dressed. Don't, don't loiter and linger waiting until the very last minute, dress yourselves in Christ. Be up and be about. Folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where words and actions collide to make things actually happen. There is a growing distance in our culture today between our words and our actions. People talk a good talk, but when it's time to walk the talk, well, that's a different story. I think most New Year's resolutions fail folks, because they weren't bad ideas. They were probably good ideas, but they weren't ideas that got commitment behind them. No one worked the plan. How many of you ever made a resolution to get in shape? Do you know that the the busiest time of year for the, the health places the, the spas, the gyms, the workout place is January, and it tapers off from there, whew, right down the hill kind of thing. I've made those resolutions before. This year's one of the first times that I've actually kept the resolution. Joined a gym, and we were still going. Yeah, yeah, like about time, huh? I'm only 56 years old. Actually, it's because I'm 56 years old. I need this. Um, but here's the deal. Just keep working the plan. 
God will bring about the results that you need to have if you'll work the plan. Most New Year's resolutions are good ideas. We just fail when we don't work the plan. It's about commitment. Somewhere along the the, the way, our resolutions fail because we didn't do the hard work to keep the commitment. We decided, well, it's okay, you know, uh, I'll work out tomorrow. And then tomorrow it's the next day, and then the next day it's the next day, and pretty soon we're not doing it at all. Suddenly we've stopped going to the gym at all, right? But that's okay because we'll make a new resolution next year and we'll try again. By the way, what's really sad for, for most people is that that trail, that little dying off thing happens about mid-January. doesn't get usually past January. What will we do if we didn't have next year to look forward to, to make that resolution again so that we can fail again? You know, Paul says this, I think, really carefully, and Eugene Peterson translates it very well. We can't afford to waste a minute. Must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence. We have a choice. We can walk into the new year armed with our resolutions and fail because we lack commitment and accountability and be basically have another 2013 or any other year that you want to, or we can have an amazing, abundant year in front of us because we hold to those commitments, hold one another to those commitments, encourage and exhort one another to keep those commitments, and we can have an amazing, abundant 2014, better than any year we've ever had before. It's not to say that, that hard things won't come, but we'll get through them better because we hold to the plan. We hold to the commitment. And by the way, when you're making your plans and commitments, your resolutions, God's at the top there, okay? And people are right underneath that. I'll explain how that works in just a minute. A few years ago, People Magazine published an article entitled Dead Ahead, telling about a new clock that keeps track of how much time you have left to live. Don't know if you ever heard of that. It calculates the average lifespan of 75 years for men and 80 years for women. I don't know why they make out better than we do, but they do. So you program your sex and your age into the clock, and from then on, it will tell you how much time you have left to live. The clock sold for $100. I didn't buy one. It's an intriguing idea. Kind of what the the psalmist told us to do in the Psalms, to number your days. It's kind of like that. When I first heard about this clock, I figured out that, you know, if I live to be 75 years old, well, I'd have about 10,000 years or 10,000 days to live. Right now, I recalculated last night. Right now, I have 6,935 days if, of course, I die at the age of 75. But here's the deal. According to the Word of God, There's no guarantee for any of us that we have that many minutes, that many days, or that many years. The 
Bible tells us not to count on tomorrow because tomorrow may not come. All we have is right now. We can't afford to waste time by floating through life. It's time to live life on purpose, to make a plan and to live the plan, to know God's will and to do God's will. Jonathan Edwards, an 18th century revivalist, sat down at the age of 17 and he penned 21 resolutions. This is a 17-year-old. He penned 21 resolutions by which he would live his life. And throughout his lifetime, he would add to these resolutions until his death, at which point he had about 70 resolutions for his life. At the top of his list, he had being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep the following resolutions. He resolved to have God's help in every endeavor, in every resolution. You make a resolution this year, start there. Ask God to help you keep that resolution. Jesus asks us to commit to being conformed to his image. And maybe that's the best place to start for 2014. 2014, folks, has 8,760 hours in it. The question is, what will you do with them? I have a challenge for you. On your note-taking paper, okay? Everybody got note-taking paper on the table. Turn it over. I never print stuff on the back. I always leave the back for you guys to to write on if you want to write more. But I decided this day I was going to put something on the back. Just something for you to consider when you're thinking about commitments and resolutions that you might make. Do this. Begin with prayer. That's the best place to start. Ask God for a vision of what he wants to do in your life this year. Now that here's a few ideas that hopefully will give you some food for thought. Make a plan to cooperate with God in whatever vision he gives you. Maybe you need to to commit to having a quiet time with God, to join a Bible study, to get an accountability partner, to commit to a place of service in the body of Christ. There are so many things you can do, all of which you will need to commit to if you're actually going to grow in Christ. It doesn't do a whole lot of good to say, oh, I'm going to go to a Bible study, come the first two weeks, and then die off like most resolutions do. Commit to it. If you're going to do it, do it. Otherwise, you won't grow from it. And guess what? If you don't grow, you don't change. If you don't change, you don't become more like Jesus. You don't become more like Jesus. The abundant life isn't going to happen for you very well. It's just the truth of the matter. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. Or It just won't happen. You'll miss out on so much of what God has for you. Don't miss out. Commit to Work in the plan. Stay in the course. Walk out your faith. Understand when I talk about doing, I'm not just talking about actions, you know. It, I'm talking about being. It's who you become. Doing is, it's either a result of being who you are meant to be in Christ or it's part of the process of becoming who you are destined to be in Christ. When I talk about doing, that's all I mean. Okay? Doing just for the sake of doing is nothing more than works, and that's dead religion. Doing because you're becoming 
or because you already are someone in Christ. That's a different story. That's about relationship. That's not about religion. This is not rocket science. It's, it's not that hard. You don't have to have a degree in theology to profit from this. You just have to commit to it. You just have to walk it out. And if you'll do that, commit to this. And I believe that by the time we get to this passage in Romans, again, whether it's you know, six months or eight months from now, whatever it is, I believe by the time we get to this passage, if you'll just do that, if you'll just, even if you just make one resolution, one commitment, and you walk it out, you will have a testimony of the goodness of God in your life that you can share with people eight months from now. So here's how you do this. Looking at that sheet, okay? What are your dreams for the future? Dream a little bit with God about who you're going to be and who he is going to be for you. Dream a little bit about that person that you're going to be, how they interface with other people, the difference that it'll make in their lives. And ask God in your dreaming to give you a vision for what your life is going to be like. Then take that vision and start making a plan to get to that vision. With your personal walk with God and with other people. If you need food for thought, way down on the bottom, there's some really tiny print kind of thing to give you an idea of maybe some things you could think about while you're praying and asking, while you're planning. And then make a commitment to walk out what God shows you and the plan that you make. And understand the plans can change, okay? Don't get married to the plan, okay? Make the plan, but don't get married to it, okay? Because you may have to change your plans a little bit like I did. I never thought I would be a preacher ever in my life. I was afraid to talk to people. I like to sing, but I was afraid to talk even between songs. And look what I'm doing today. Plans change, folks. Plans change. Move with what God does. Move with the vision he gives for you. And I promise you, if you'll do this, I promise you, 2014 will be the best year of your life. It really will be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you because you're all about giving us your heart. It's what you did when you sent Jesus. You gave us your heart so that we would lack no good thing. Father, I pray for us as a people that we would embrace Jesus, that we would put on Jesus, that we would go after being transformed to his image. That whatever dreams you have for us, we would make plans to pursue, and then we would walk the plan so that we become more and more like Jesus every day of 2014. I want to see us Walk in the abundance of who he is for us. Walking in peace, walking in rest, walking in joy, walking in love. No matter our circumstances, because we've put on Jesus. Father, I pray that for us as a people so that 2014 will be the most amazing year any of us have ever had. In Jesus' name, amen.